1: This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Thursday, August 27, 2020. The headlines of my Chicago Sun-Times home delivered as always say it all, <laughs> Kenosha in chaos, Antioch teen arrested in two fatal shootings amid unrest. Magnation Nation has officially lost its mind. This kid watched too many Trump videos, got a rifle, went out and started shooting people to see if Donald Trump uh, t- accepts any responsibility for it. Also, an interesting headline here. I just noticed this. This is relevant to our guest. CPS Board of Education votes to keep CPD officers in schools despite student protests. That's an interesting development, and you'll know why it's relevant to my guest Uh, after I ask my guest to introduce himself, as I do with all distinguished bonus guests. Introduce yourself, guest.
0: I am Troy LaRavie, president of the Chicago Principals and Administrators Association and everybody right now is going,
1: yeah, that's Troy LaRavie. And before we get any further, let me just uh, sing a little song. Uh, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. I appreciate <laughs> that selection, brother. <laughs> yes, one of my favorites. And then we'll do the whole chorus together, Troy. Happy I could see neither you nor I could sing. But anyway, you just had a big birthday. I saw it on Facebook. Uh, I'll sing another song from the 70s that uh, accurately depicts you. You're still a young man, baby. You're still a young man, Troy. You're a lot younger than I am. So happy birthday.
0: Hey, I feel like one, man. I never thought I'd hit 50, man. I actually never thought I'd hit 40. So 50 is just like an extra bonus.
1: Yes. Uh, 50 years old. That's still, (laughs) it's still young. When I met you, you were about 40. I want to say I've known Troy for a few years now. Uh, Troy LaRavie is the president of Chicago principal associate on my show. Most of my listeners know him as a Bernie Sanders delegate, uh, as a leftist, uh, proud card carrying lefty. Uh, and, um, You know, we usually talk about, we talk about national issues, we talk about uh, uh, Democratic Party issues, we talk about race relationship, race relations, Donald Trump, all this stuff is on my mind, Troy, Uh, but uh, your day job, uh, of course, is you're the head of the Principals Association, so I will ask you about the latest scandal that just hit the papers about the Chicago public schools it has to do with privatization. And if anybody knows anything about Troy Lavier that's how he got his start, in my humble opinion, as a public figure in Chicago, sounding the alarm at rampant privatization by the public schools uh, under Rahm Emanuel. And his reward for that was getting fired under trumped up charges, BS charges. That's me talking, not Troy. Uh, and so we'll get to the latest scandal from the Chicago public schools, which I know is on your mind, it has to do with privatization deals. Uh, the public schools. But uh, let's just start talking about uh, what's in the headlines. Very troubling times in many ways. What went went down in Kenosha, both with the police, uh, shooting uh, Jacob Blake for no apparent reason. Troy, uh, nothing I could see. Maybe you can help me. Uh, And then followed up by uh, a MAGA hat, uh, wearing Donald Trump supporter, a 17 year old named Kyle uh, Rittenhouse, who uh, started patrolling the streets of Kenosha, killed two people, uh, I guess in his mind, he's Rambo. Um, let's start with the shooting of of Jacob Blake, your thoughts in general on that.
0: Well, I mean, I, I disagree that there was no apparent reason. I think the reason he was shot is very apparent because he's black. That was the reason. We are in America, and that's the reason. uh, 400 years of conditioning, of dehumanizing black people, of characterizing us as subhuman, as violent. Like White people, and hell, even black people, have been conditioned to react in that way toward black people. And some of us are more susceptible to that condition than others for some of us it is uh you know it manifests in this 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 uh thing that they're calling now uh implicit bias and then others actually consciously adopt those uh beliefs that are implicit in others others consciously adopt them articulate them uh, and embrace them Uh, and many of the people who are consciously adopt articulate and embrace them are also charged with policing the people who they hold these ideas about. And when the people who hold these ideas are charged with policing the people they hold these negative ideas about, then you get George Floyd, you get Jacob Blake, you get Breonna Taylor, you get officer after officer after officer shooting down, murdering uh, one black person after another, throughout the history of the United States. So, you know, the reason is this society and and how it has maligned and dehumanized black people in the minds of America.
1: Troy, go into a little bit more about implicit bias. Uh, I wrote that phrase down as soon as you said it, uh, meaning to bring you back to it. Uh, Explain a little bit more about what's at stake with implicit bias.
0: Yeah. And I don't want to give implicit bias too much because implicit bias gets talked about a lot, you know, and which is why I sort of went a little bit further and said many of us, because implicit bias is a term that we use to sort of sort of give people the benefit of the doubt. You hold these because many people hold these biases and are not aware that they hold it, um, that. We live in a society where, see, the, the, the way the brain works is that if it consistently sees a thing associated and, and it sees another thing, it sees A and B associated, like they're always occurring together, then it connects A and B. The mind automatically begins to connect A and B, like without even thinking about it, if it consistently sees A and B together over a period of time. And so if A is black man and B is criminality and in your culture in the news in the movies and film in your conversations with other people those things are continuously connected and then your mind is uh the way the mind works by nature by evolution is to con- to associate black men with criminality and then your uh Emotional, your systems that regulate your emotions and your, your fear and all of the other things work in tandem with that. And so when you encounter a black man repeatedly in the news and the media, and it's always associated with criminality, at some point, every time you see a black man, you're going to associate it with criminality, whether the criminality is actually there or not, because you've seen it so much in your lifetime. Uh, And this culture, uh, from the inception of slavery, you know, because when you have something like slavery, when you have something like segregation, and this is probably the biggest part, when you enslave a group of people, you can't do that and have the population accept it. Like people wouldn't accept that, like like. Like, that's a brutal, people wouldn't normally accept it. So you have to start telling a story about the people you enslave, right? You have to tell a story about these people that they're not like us. They're not human. They're, they're, they're violent. They're more prone to be violent. They're less intelligent than us. They're less moral than us. They're less ethical than us. And you just keep telling that story to justify your treatment of these people. And so that's the story that was told about black people to justify slavery. It's the story that was told about black people to justify segregation and um, of the oppression of black people and the 100 years of Jim Crow, which was also designed to economically exploit those same black people and exploit poor white people because when you exploit, when you've conditioned poor white people to think poorly about poor black people, then you've Negated the possibility of them coming together Mm -hmm. in their common interest to fight against their common oppressor. Um, And so that's so, but a story has to be told about one group of people to justify the treatment of those people. And that the constant telling of those stories, the imagery in the news and the media is what creates what we call implicit bias. And that implicit bias. Uh, oftentimes becomes more than just implicit, right? Mm. It creates bias and it creates implicit bias and it creates sort of this direct, overt, conscious bias as well. For some people, it's conscious. For some people, it's implicit, but it's biased nonetheless. What you're uh, it uh, saying. Your behavior. And then in that bias you have then affects your behavior toward the people that you have that bias about. And so you're going to sentence them to much harsher uh, terms than you would a white person who did the exact same thing, and that's what the criminal justice data shows us. You're going to have more encounters with them in which you exercise deadly force because mm-hmm. that's what you believe about them, either consciously or unconsciously. Um, and, so go ahead. You
1: know, and uh, to the point, uh, so there's two images coming out of Kenosha. One is uh, Jacob Blake being shot uh, and When I said for no apparent reason, your answer was very good, but for no... He'd done nothing. (laughs) I know, man. I I know, I know. But he had done absolutely nothing. And you know, Troy, I got to say this this is popping in my head. I'd love to get your reaction to this. Um, I don't know how many candid conversations you have with white people, but there's a moment whenever there's a, uh, a shooting like this, when white people are talking... Not all white people, okay? I'm just, not all white people. It's a lot of white people. And they'll be like, damn, you see that thing on the the video, it was unbelievable. And they'll say, well, you know, there's stuff that the video doesn't show. So, you know, there's only, you, you, you know, you're not seeing everything, you're just seeing what's on the video. And I think, what could the video, what could exist outside the video that in any way would justify shooting the guy. I, I, what, you, do you understand what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. What, what could he have done off camera that would have warned a cop to go, I'm gonna track you down and shoot you seven times? But that's like, that gets into the uh, your, your point about bias. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's like, well, there must be more to the story that we're not
0: seeing. So I would I mean you hit you just answered with my answer that that the very construction of that question is based in implicit or explicit bias against black people because you know damn well for any white person or any person who says that my, my response is the same would you have the same question if it was a white guy and and if you're honest with yourself you know damn well you wouldn't that. And, and, and like, even with me, like all of us have that. Well, what if? And then all of us have to just stop and go, what if he was white? <laughs> you know, we have to do that. A time to kill test. You know, you seen the time to kill with Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. McCabe, the, right? Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. And at the end, he's got the jury and he's telling them a story about the murder of this little uh, well, not the murder, but the kidnapping and rape of this, and brutality against this little black girl, and he's explaining it in great detail, and then at the end he says, "Now imagine she's white, <laughs> right?" Because, and, it, and if you were, it, it, and all of us understood it at that moment, because. Like, it's like, imagine she's a, what that does for most people is say, imagine she's human because white people are the only people in this country that you've been taught to think of as fully human. And so now I want you to imagine all of that happening to a white girl. Now imagine and, and, and judge the actions of her father on that. Right. And so I would say the same thing for any situation where white people don't seem to get it or black person doesn't seem to get it, you know? It, not just imagine if, so there's the imagine if, and then there's the reality too. So it's like, okay, imagine he was white, a white dude just go, going into his car, not following the, which white people do quite often. Uh, they feel entitled, not to curse police out. I've seen white people brandishing guns at cops and cops not doing anything about it. Imagine he was white. Would he do it? Like, see, the fundamental issue here which is not articulated well is this idea of fairness and unfairness under all of this so there's like there's there's justice and appropriateness and then there's fairness and see when 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 people look at it they look at it from the justice and appropriateness lens but you can't get to the justice and appropriate lens without first starting with the fairness lens because what black people are are looking at is what we're saying what we know is that if he were a white man that would not have happened to him like and it doesn't even have to be a if like we know that that there have been instances where white men with guns have been apprehended by cops With no incidents, no shooting them down in situations where they were doing things far more provoking than what that brother was doing, they could was doing and everything. Like we actually see it, so we don't even have to ask if. Like we know it, and so we know how white people are treated in situations where they are far more belligerent than any black person. in hell, we have it right here in Kenosha with the white guy, and the little teenager shooting folks down and walking down the streets and cops just passing him by with his automatic weapon hanging from. He just murdered two people. Yeah. And they managed to apprehend him without incident. And you couldn't get a brother. You could not. Appre- you could not. And hell, they didn't even have any reason to apprehend them. There's still no sort of criminal charge. We still don't know why the hell they were going. Like, we have a, a, a guy who was breaking up a fight versus a black guy breaking up a fight versus a white guy who just murdered two people. And we see the difference in the police response. And so the, the idea here, though, getting back, is the fundamental unfairness of that. When you see people who look like you treated so much more brazenly brutal— than people who are white, right? That's what drives the anger. That's what drives the frustration. And it's only when you stop at the fairness piece, when you start with the fairness piece, that you can then go to the appropriateness. Was this appropriate what they did to him? So in order to judge its appropriateness, what you have to do is go, well, what would they do if it was a white person? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right. What is debate? What do they do when they're white? Right? And then that's how you judge the appropriateness you know, in America, that's not ideally, that's, of course, not how we should be looking at things. But in a racist America where people have been trained to treat white people as human, then the baseline is how you treat white people. Yeah. And you know, damn well, a white person wouldn't be treated that way and are not treated that way. It doesn't even have to be hypothetical. They're not treated that way when they do things far more brazen. We are treated that way. That's the end of the conversation. It is fundamentally unfair and if we agree that it's fundamentally unfair, then we've already answered the question about appropriateness and the justness of the act, because you wouldn't do it with a white person. So not only is it, not, is it unfair, it is not appropriate, it's not just.
1: Uh, just to follow up and, uh, on the point you made, I'm going to read, this is from a Sun-Times editorial today. This gets at what you were talking about, just in case anybody doesn't know the reference. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old Trump supporter. Uh, notice how I said Trump supporter. See. <laughs> That would be what the Trump people would be doing. Imagine it was Bernie Sanders supporter. Just (laughs) just think about this. Put aside the racial issue, Troy, just for the moment, and think about the political issue. Imagine if it had been a Bernie Sanders supporter of any race who had done the shooting. They would have. It would have been linked to Bernie Sanders. Like somehow or other, he was responsible. So that's why. I mean, you know what? They can play the game. I'm going to play the game. The kid was a Trump supporter. He wore the mag hat, so uh, he's a Trump supporter. Uh, Here we go. There's a video from Tuesday night of Rittenhouse, that's his name, walking around with his big bad gun, carrying it openly past Kenosha cops, and no one is asking him anything. Wisconsin is an open carry state. You can carry an AR-15 down Sheridan Road in Kenosha the way you can carry a beer down Bourbon Street in New Orleans. But in the middle of a riot, nobody checks him out. What if Rittenhouse, and we know some people hate this question, had been black? Another video circulating on social media appears to show Rittenhouse talking with cops in a militarized police vehicle, which is a kind of tank. He's looking for a bottle of water. Someone appears to throw him one, and a voice over the megaphone says, we appreciate you guys. We really do. And then there's the horror show, when three people are shot, apparently by Rittenhouse, two of them fatally. One body goes still almost instantly. After the shooting, Rittenhouse is walking down the street as police vehicles turn a corner and head his way he raises his arm is he surrendering is he saying hello we don't know but neither do the cops who roll right by the man that's powerful stuff the chicago sun times editorial
0: yeah because the cops looking for black people <laughs> that's what the cops are looking for that's what they're trained to look for that's their purpose you know in their minds
1: all right, let's bring it to Chicago a little bit. It'll be before time the defund police movement that's been uh, talked much uh, in Chicago. The get cops out of the public schools.
0: Hey, before uh, you do that though, that whole AR-57 thing. Yeah. you know there was a, a group of people who actually did a live enactment of that. They were in a concealed. They were in an open carry state. They had a black man carry, and this black man was the bravest black man I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) They had a black man carry an assault rifle, a white man carry an assault rifle, and they filmed them walking through the streets and what happened to them. And the white man, he was approached by the cops. The cops stood at a, uh, cops uh, walked toward him and had a conversation with him about why he was carrying the gun. Black man They film him, several cops converge on him, get out, aim their guns at him, and force him to release, to drop his weapon. And he gets on the ground and on his knees, and there's a black woman behind him filming it all, which is probably the only reason that he didn't die that day. So we don't have to ask, what if? We've seen it. We've actually seen it. I don't know what gave that man the courage to do what he did. but same state, same same city, same police force. White man carrying an assault rifle, he gets questioned. Go on about your business. Black man carrying an assault rifle, they come out in force, point their guns at him, order him to his knees, and force him to relinquish his weapon, his legal weapon. Yeah.
1: No, I. I, I by the way, that man is is either. Uh... He's very much dedicated uh, to his, uh, I mean, he sounds like a sociologist or something. He's really dedicated to his uh, his craft, because that is a lot of courage. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't seen that. So I, this reminds me now on a tangent with a tangent, Troy, of when uh, the... Uh, the barber, uh, South Shore. I don't know if you remember this. A couple of years ago, was shot by police, and they thought they they stopped him initially because they suspected he had a gun. And I, I may have may have talked to you about this, Troy. I don't remember, but I, I was like, "Well, I thought we're supposed." I thought the NRA and Republicans believe in carrying weapons. I thought that was like a fundamental Second Amendment liberty that w- our. We were supposed to guarantee. So why would they care if he was carrying a gun? He wasn't shooting anybody. The gun was, he wasn't brandishing it, Troy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, we were suspected he had a gun. And I I wrote a column about it. I go, well, where's the Second Amendment? Where's the NRA? Why aren't they marching on behalf of this gentleman? He, he wasn't doing anything. He was just standing there. And they go, well, we suspected. And he did have a gun. Oh, he did have a gun, Troy, but so did the kid, Kyle Rittenhouse. He not only had a gun, he just used it. Mm-hmm. So I guess the Second Amendment only applies to white people.
0: Yep. If you haven't seen it, it was the experiment was done in uh, Albany, Oregon, uh, and it was in 2015. So if you look it up. I'm
1: going to look it up.
0: Black man, white man, open carry, assault rifle. Oregon, Yeah. <laughs> um, and they got it all on video. They got the cops having a nice conversation with the white dude. Uh, the white dude saying, hey, you want to check it out? And then they got the cops behind their door, got the the brother on the ground with their guns pointed directly at him.
1: Yeah. No, I'm going to check it out. By the way, I just put out, I'm not a gun guy, so I'm not advocating anybody carrying gun. I'm just saying. I noticed inconsistency, and this is before your time, Troy. But in the '60s, the Black Panthers, a contingent of Black Panthers, uh, showed up at the State House in California. California. Yeah, with their brandish. Of- <laughs> I think Reagan was the governor of California at the time. And that's anyway.
0: the only time, the, uh, and it's the only time the NRA supported uh, a law to restrict um, gun possession when ronald reagan proposed that law to stop the panthers from carrying guns it's the only time in the history of the nra that they supported a gun a a a bill or a law restricting access to weapons when they were designed to restrict access to black people
1: yeah well before we uh leave this completely i wanted to talk about police and schools in chicago but uh uh, trump will be giving a speech tonight And I'm sure I can just guarantee it, he'll continue his mission of playing on the fears that are just sort of implicit in everything you're saying, the way people have toward black people. Uh, And this is his hope to win re-election, Troy. He doesn't need a majority of the voters. He only needs the electoral college, as we all know. We have this insane system that we put up with. I don't know why. And uh, so all he needs is to win enough of, the, he needs to win the states he won last time. And so now this is it. He's going to try to scare white people in Wisconsin to vote for him with right. with declarations of law and order. Uh, do you think he'll be successful in this?
0: I think he'll be successful in getting um, his base to turn out. Whether that'll be enough to get him to win depends on how successful we are in getting our base. <laughs> and getting the so-called moderate to to show up. But, um, yeah, it will be successful getting those folks out. I mean, and it's, it's it's not just Trump. That's the Republican Party strategy. Bush, when he ran for re-election in 2004, you know, he did a lot of this. Uh, you know, one of the things Trump just did was uh, they floated this idea of a... Ban on the recognition of transgender of the 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 new gender of trans transgender people. All right, they just floated that idea um, to their base. All right now, go back to 2004, right before Bush's reelection. What did he do right before the election? All right, he floated an idea of a constitutional ban on same-sex marriage. All right, it was. The exact same strategy, right? This sort of fear that the world as we know it is getting away from gay people. Back then it was, oh, my God, the gays are going to get married. Now it's, oh, my God, men are going to be women and women are going to be men. You know, the world as you know it, white people, white, straight, Anglo-Saxon people um, is changing. And we need to fear that and we need to stop it. So it's the fear of that. Uh, They just floated um, another anti-immigration uh, stance saying that they're going to renew uh, the policy of separating children from their families so that they can get that base out uh, to support that because these immigrants um, are, are, who don't know our way of life from these third world countries. That's actually what the architect of that policy said. These immigrants from these third world countries mm-hmm. who don't know our democratic way of life you know are going to come in <laughs> And change America as we know it. And in America as you know it is not going to exist anymore. So we, this is the only chance to stop it. And I think the, the analogy they use is you're a passenger on flight 93. Right? And this is the actual fucking analogy this dude used. I can't remember the cat's name, but he's in the Trump administration now. That you're a passenger on flight 93 and the terrorist uh, is on the plane. He's holding forward. He's about to get into the cockpit. And you may live, you may not, but you gotta run. you like, right now, it's time for you to act and try to save the plane. And in his analogy, white middle class, or excuse me, white working folks are, are the so-called prospective heroes, and, and the Democratic Party is the terrorist. <laughs> like, this is the shit they're saying. So it's the immigration, it's the sort of sexual politics and gender politics, uh, same thing, and it's the race baiting, fear mongering politics. It's this insanity about the suburbs as we know it is going to end. The suburbs as we know them ended ten years ago, <laughs> um, hmm. but they keep pushing that same, you know, and fear. I don't even call it just fear because you know we push fear in a way uh, on our side. Like there's certain things that you need to be scared of. We need to be scared of the end of democracy, for example. Right. but and that's a very there's a very plausible you've actually seen the republican party and trump put things in motion to that will effectively end democracy in this country. The shit they're doing with voting, the stuff they did with the post office, the things that they're doing in different states to make it extremely difficult for black people to vote and extremely easy for white folks to vote, where you got lines around the block in black polling places and you just walk in and vote in white areas. Like, this is, this, that's a real threat. Like, it's a real threat that we need to fear. The, the, the stuff that they're telling white folks to fear in the Republican Party is just fucking boogeyman shit. Stuff that is as not, never will happen. Stuff that they're just making up. And so I think fear politics is not necessarily the right um, description or adjective. And you know I'm just thinking of this now. I haven't thought of a better one. But this is something more than just fear. This is like boogeyman crap. This is just made up... Um, Like giving white people a mass hallucination about a possible uh, existential threat to the future that does not exist.
1: Well, so boogeyman politics. Uh, I, I I, I may, I may steal that one. Boogeyman politics. Uh, Doc Rivers. I don't know. I I had this. Yeah, we've been talking about it for two days now on the show and playing it over and over again. Absolutely brilliant discourse. Yeah. That he uh, After a, at a press conference, after a game, I think it just came from the heart. Obviously, it wasn't scripted. If you've seen, if you saw him do it, Troy, he took the mask off and he just spoke from his heart. He goes, uh, all that, he used to wear it, fear. All that fear coming from the Republican Party at the convention. And he goes, "We're
0: the ones getting shot." But exactly. <laughs> yeah, he articulated it perfectly. Like it is the spirit of what I'm trying to say. Like there is a real thing for us to fear. It's happening. What the hell are you all scared of? Middle class, working class white America. What the fuck are y'all scared of? You're not the ones out here dying. Right? you're scared of a made-up boogeyman that does not exist and never will exist. What we fear is actually happening. The dead bodies are right there on the street. The dead bodies, your dead bodies are in your mind. They're in your imagination. And that's the only place they'll ever be. You know, that's essentially what Doc Rivers said. Uh, And I agree with it wholeheartedly.
1: And then the closing line, of course, is, uh, uh, I'm I'm paraphrasing this. Uh, We keep loving you, uh, but you never love us.
0: Oh yeah, that was man, man. Yeah, that, I don't even I, I don't even know what to say about that line. But yeah, I remember watching it and just getting stopped in my tracks. It's just so sad. Um, you know, it, what stands out to me is
1: um, just just watching the Republican revenge, uh, convention and this are spewing this fear, right? Like. All you hear, is Donald Trump, and all of them talking about fear. We're the ones getting
0: killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, we're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. Um, we've been hung. We've been shot, and
1: all you do is keep hearing about fear.
0: It's. It's amazing to me why we keep loving this country,
1: and this country does not love us back. It blew my mind, and and uh, didn't I'll just say this: Doc Rivers, a local guy, Proviso East High School, Maywood. Uh, mm-hmm. His family still lives in the area, so uh, I had just like a lot of feelings like ah, i know doc rivers he grew up around the same time i did he's a leader and right after that happened troy right after that happened the uh the bucks said they wouldn't take the floor in a playoffs game and i believe doc rivers words triggered something there
0: and he, that, have. he, he may have man um I think that I just had something that just left my mind. But, yeah, he 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 might have. I think that this thing with the players, though, man, mm-hmm. you know, it's – I'm looking at this from two perspectives. Perspective number one, perspective number one, I'm thinking of sort of historical. John Carlos, Tommy Smith, and the 1968 Olympics. I believe it was in Mexico City. Yeah and how they were treated after they put their fists in the air and and, uh, a symbolic stance against how black people were being treated here in the United States. Same shit that's happening now. I think about Muhammad Ali and how he was treated after he took his stance. And the sacrifice that he made, saying, I'm not going to Vietnam because my enemy is not in Vietnam. And he looked white America right in the eye and said, you are my enemy. You are my oppressor. So I'm going to stay here and fight you here, not fight for you against someone who is not my enemy. I'm going to fight you, my oppressor, right here in this country. You know, that was incredible what he did. You know, at a time when it was not an po- extremely unpopular thing to do. where well, he lost his title in the prime years of his life. And I think, I fast forward, you think about all that ass. You think about, you know, I really think about who gets lost in all of this. And the conversation about Colin Kaepernick, and of course I think about him. Mahmoud, Raul, Mahmoud, Adul, Raul. Chris Jackson. <laughs> the old Chris I, Jackson, yes. That's right. Best free throw shooter in the history of the NBA. Would not stand for the National Anthem. And I think, and eventually, he decided to pray during the
1: national. Yes, he did. That was the compromise. Yeah, Uh,
0: and ran out of the league. Greatest three-point shooter in the history of the game, you know. And then, of course, there's the greatest three-point shooter in the history of the game before Steph Curry, Craig Hodges, who himself was run out of the game for trying to encourage players to do almost exactly what players are doing right now today, which is to use their. Um, notoriety to use their position, their stature, their influence to highlight the conditions that black people were suffering in the cities of America. Like that's what Craig Hodges was trying to do. That's what Mahmoud uh, Abdul raouf Chris Jackson was trying to highlight. Uh, and of course, it's what Colin Kaepernick uh, was highlighting four years ago. And so I think about them. The difference, the one difference though, like the players yesterday took a step further because this this was more than symbolic, right? This was normally when this kind of crap happens when black people get shot down in the street. The next day, no matter what, it's business as usual. Yeah, another black person died. All right, let's watch the game. They said, "Fuck that!" Won't be no game, right? That like, and then try to use their influence real strategically. That they contacted the legislature, the governor in Wisconsin, to say, we're not playing. And this is so, like, this is Milwaukee's chance to get a title. (laughs) And they're like, we're not going to play. We're going to use your desire to get a a title to say, no, we're going to put that up and hold it hostage. Until you hold this officer who shot this man down accountable. Yeah. Um, so they so that's one thing they used their leverage very in a very specific. It wasn't just symbolic. They targeted at an actual tangible result. That's number yes. one, and number two, it was no longer business as usual. You're not going to get to watch a goddamn game after a black man gets shot down in the street. So those are two aspects of this particular protest that are, as far as I know, um, a development that is unprecedented, at least as far as I know. And then, of course, it spread to baseball, you know, with the Milwaukee Brewers. It's one thing for the NBA with all those black folk. Baseball, you know, <laughs> is one of the whitest sports that you can you, – it's one of the whitest sports. Yeah. Uh, certainly a lot of black folk in major leagues baseball, but not to the extent in the NBA. And when you get baseball, you get the Brewers, then you got the Seattle Mariners, and then the L.A. Dodgers – I mean, you don't get any more outside of New York Yankees. You don't get any more mainstream America than the Dodgers, right? And then the Dodgers and the Giants both said no, we're not playing. Uh, and then the WNBA, and then the, and then the, the the young sister, uh, and, and who was in the semifinals of a tennis match. Tennis
1: player, yeah, we're not playing, yeah.
0: Um, so like, no business is the the idea that there will not be business as usual is new. It is beautiful. Um. And the fact that that energy was very targeted, a specific result to get that officer held accountable, uh, I got nothing for, for, but praise for those brothers.
1: I'm with you 150%. And I say this is
0: a, <laughs> a small
1: sacrifice I made to this struggle. I didn't get to watch a game last night. Uh, but. You know, I'm with you 100, percent Troy. I, I fell for it. I really. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Craig Hodges. He was so far ahead of his time. He wanted to do this in 1991. He went up to Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson on <laughs> with the Bulls and the Lakers. Game one, he goes, "Let's let's just stay in the locker. Let's put the issue on the table. How they're treating Black America." And you know, they're like, "Are you out of your mind?" Uh, and they ignored him. But 30 years later. Um, so Craig Hodges, uh, you are way ahead of your uh, time. All right, you mentioned the base of the Democratic Party, and then you moved on. Let's go back to it. I was just having this conversation with another guest earlier in the show, uh, Troy. Republicans actively go after their base, as as insane as that base may be. QAnon loving, anti Semitic, anti Black whacked out anti-science believe they can beat the virus without wearing a mask base they embrace that base okay the democrats and feel free to vigorously disagree with me troy are so afraid of their base the people like me they're so afraid of ben could you shut up with that talk about redistributing income could you just be quiet about that and i'm like nothing connects like black activists They don't want anything to do with AOC, they give her one minute, okay? One minute to the brightest, most promising star in the Democratic Party. One minute, Troy. So my concern is the Democratic Party, in its cautiousness, in its Rom Emanuel-like, middle of the roadness, will not rev up the base. Your thoughts?
0: Well, in some ways, the left is not the base of the Democratic Party, as it exists right now, which is why it's not going after it. It doesn't, the people who lead it don't consider that its base. Um, But I want to flip it, though. I think to some extent, and I could be wrong about this. I'm just testing this idea out. To some extent, the current base of the Republican Party has not always been its base, right? That that base, like there's been a takeover of the Republican Party over the last 20 years, starting with New, Ging- new, Ging- new Gingrich politics. Um, there has been an effort by the far right, um, folk who, I mean, frankly, I think the Republican Party is the greatest threat to democracy on the planet. The, the Republican Party is. When you see how they moved one of the two major parties in the world, you know in terms of controlling the the most powerful country military economy in the world, like like in terms of how they've moved a party that could get control of this country this economy this military so far to the right, right like those Republicans did not go, or those far right folks didn't twenty years two twenty years ago didn't go, bullshit, oh you know this party will never. Represent us Fuck it, let's start a third party No, they did the hard work Of taking over that party all right? They didn't go you know, Oh, let's run a third party candidate They said, let's take this mother over you know? And so what happens on Our side is All too often I hear folks who are on the left Sort of resign The fact That the Democratic Party Is you know, not their party instead of thinking through how can we take this party over, how can we uh assume you know do what like you know what a o c you know a o c didn't run as an independent she ran as a democrat yeah like, like how, but so too, all far too often people who love her and her politics don't see like don't embrace what she did and the strategy like and the strategy of like getting folks like her. Into the Democratic Party and taking this party over and moving it to the moving it to the people, the way the Republicans have moved the Republican, the way the ultra conservatives have moved the Republican Party toward um, corporations and anti democratic demagogues. Um, so that's still a problem I have. You know, you told me I was, I was a proud car-carrying lefty. Sometimes I'm not so proud, man, because I see the strategies. Sometimes when I'm listening to lefties and I'm looking looking at some of the strategies that they're talking about and how resigned they are. Like, like right now, let's talk against Joe Biden. Like, man, we got to beat Trump. Like, we got to beat him. All this anti-Joe Biden talk, Hey, like Joe Biden wasn't my choice. You know I'm a Bernie man. But right now we got look, look. I don't know if Ruth Bader Ginsburg is gonna survive another year. I ain't got time for this bullshit. But this this Biden critique, right? Is it is it is it justifiable? Hell yeah. Is this is the system that we have that's left us with the Biden? Does it need to get changed? Fuck yeah. Do we have to do that? Yeah. But now's not the time. Like let's we have to defeat Trump. Does that mean giving up on all our values? No. It means prioritizing, and right now the priority is to get behind, get as much as we have to grit our teeth, get behind, <laughs> get behind Biden. And hell, if they want to fly me to Ohio to go door to door, if I want up to Wisconsin, I'm I'm gonna be the Bidenist loving man that you ever heard <laughs> kind Because of we gotta get Trump out of. And does that mean we give up our principles and values in the larger struggle for control of the Democratic Party in America and, 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 and pushing them? Amer- no, no, but. First things first. Sorry, I don't know if you asked me all that. I don't know if I asked you that, but I love that, ref. (laughs) My with the left, man, I I agree with you in general, but the the priority right now is not, for me, not the critique, not on the eve of an election that could end up giving Republicans um, and and the ultra-conservative far-right folks uh, another four years to dismantle uh, democracy in America.
1: I, I think I'm just going to take that riff. I'm t- make note when it took, and I'm going to play that uh, for all my lefties who come on the show. I live in lefty land. <laughs> I'm a proud, card-carry, card-carrying lefty. I've been my whole life. This is what I was raised to be, a, a New Deal Democrat. My mom, God bless her, New Deal Democrat. But you are absolutely right. You are so absolutely right. This fundamental threat that Donald Trump represents, where he is just like openly, he's like trying to ignite a race war in our country. And, you know, that Republican Party is going to be champion. They get their marching orders from Tucker Carlson. He went on the air and praised the kid, Rittenhouse, who shot those two people. He praised him. Well, he's just, you know, doing law and order. You know what I'm saying, Troy? You You watch. It, Trump will be praising that kid before it's too long. Just like they put those McCloskeys up from St. Louis. The, the couple that with the guns. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we'll, I know we'll, what you're talking about. So, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you 100% of what you're saying. And by the way, most of the basketball players who led that strike are with you as well. LeBron James at the top of the list. They want Trump out so bad. Because he's not, by everything else, he's been denigrating them for speaking up for all years. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I guess what I, I was just, still, just some of the, the attitudes that Democrats have toward leftist values. I mean, do I call them New Deal values? I find troublesome. So I guess this, what you're saying, Troy, is this is a fight to happen after november when the democrats have won isn't that what you're saying
0: yeah no, I, so to be clear i agree with the critique that most left is i hold the same critique of biden um the public fight in particular because we, we got to get votes man yes the, the public fight like, it's not worth it. Like, should there be some strategizing behind the scenes right now for, like, maybe what we're going to do? Yeah, maybe. Even then, I'm thinking, man, we need to put every ounce of energy into getting Trump out of office. And certainly there should be some planning and strategizing to, to not have to end up in this situation where this is what we end up with as our candidate. Again, like, uh, it's for me, again, it, it's just not right now on the eve of an election uh, or right before this election in november um it's just not the time
1: man all right uh let's shift it to chicago first before we get into the latest uh scandal from the chicago public schools uh let's talk an update the last time on your show we talked at length about how you got arrested I've been meaning to write an article about it. And I haven't gotten around to it. Uh, it's a fascinating story. I urge everybody to check out that interview. I think it was in June, last time Troy was on the show. Uh, so is there are there any updates? Has has the case been dropped? Or is, are they still trying to uh, throw you into jail or
0: whatever? You know, man, uh, this is probably very irresponsible of me, but I haven't even followed up. I heard that all the charges were dropped for most of the folks at like that. And I don't even know if that's true or not. Um, the last time I checked on it, I, I had a case that I knew was coming up and I called um, the courts and there was a voicemail message saying that all of the cases because of COVID were being delayed or you know postponed. And I go, okay. And then after that, uh, My son's mom, who's an attorney herself, had mentioned to me that uh, they were dropping all the charges for uh, most for the minor arrests that took place. And mine was certainly a minor arrest. And so I just kind of was like, okay, and and I just forgot about it at that point. I probably should (laughs) verify with the courts that. There's not a warrant out for my arrest. I was going to say, (laughs) a bounty hunter coming after you. (laughs) Um, But, man, I've gotten so busy with this insane CPS shit, man, that um, uh, I just neglected my own um, legal responsibility to to look after my own legal (laughs) well-being. All right. Uh, Yeah, I would would
1: urge you. uh, I'm no attorney. Uh, But I play one on my show all the time. I would urge you to check it out. It's kind of like a library book that you think you return, but you didn't really return. And all of a
0: sudden, your sock went fine. Only a little worse, okay? Uh, (laughs) I do not want to spend another night in jail, man. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's an unbelievable story, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I will get around to writing it up because it's a fascinating story. The man was running for mayor at one point. Could it be our mayor? Uh, And they threw him in jail. And I, to this point, I still say, I say this all the time, Troy, I want to see some kind of, uh, talk about transparency, some kind of explanation like what the strategy was that the police were following that night. Why were there so many police guarding Trump Tower? I, I'd love to know that. Uh, Troy got thrown into jail because he was part of the assemblage of people moving toward Trump Tower and uh, the police were doing everything they could to protect the tower. Go ahead, but we you gonna say something?
0: No, I was just yeah, I was just shaking my head. Yes, yes, they were. Yeah, I I didn't understand it either because it's not like I, I just couldn't see you know, like no one was about to loot Trump Tower. Like <laughs> you know, that was just a symbolic thing you want to go to and protest there. Like I, I just didn't see the the. It was right after the mayor made that um, "fuck you, Trump" comment. Couple days later, she's got the Chicago police force uh, out in full force guarding Trump Tower after she said, you know, I think you said what it begins with an F and ends ends with with a U. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, So um,
1: let's move on. You you mentioned the Chicago Public Schools. couple issues to talk about. One the scandal that broke today, we'll get to that last. And uh, the first one, of course, is uh, the whole debate over whether there should be uh, police officers in schools. You're the head of the president of the Chicago Principals Association. What's your general uh, view on this topic?
0: Yeah, I think I mentioned this last time, and if I remember correctly, I surprised you with my answer. (laughs) Um, So my when you when you're the president of an association of 1,000 folks and you're asked a question like that that they have very strong opinions on um putting your own opinion out there over the opinions of the people you're if, if you ask me as Troy Laravier, my 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 answer might be different, but I'm not being, I'm typically not being interviewed as the Ravi I'm being interviewed as the president of the Principals Association. And so I see it as my responsibility to put their perspective out there. And from the perspective of many of the principals who have SROs in their buildings, they see, many see the effort to get rid of them uh, as problematic, uh, as leaving, you know, and they have, like they have questions that are not answered by the folks who are trying to push the SROs out. You know, like, okay, uh, what happens when, like, okay, you're going to give me an S- a counselor instead of a, an SRO? Um, that's a whole different skill set. Uh, and when I have a car full of kids, teenagers, sometimes young adults, pull up in front of my school, armed, uh, which has happened, which one particular principal told me about. Even before, my, he, we, me, and, me and him were uh, actually, um, our sons were in the same basketball program. And um, we just had a conversation, even before this whole SRO thing. And so he would he would mention a lot of the incidents that would happen in his school to me. Um, and, and one of them <laughs> was a car full of kids coming through. Um, looking for someone, and they're armed. And they were able to get their SRO out there and get them on their way. Um, kids trying to come into the building aren't. Um, and because it's his SRO, and the SRO is also a swim coach, like he's built relationships with the kids. Uh, the principal has established a culture for the SRO. And what he said is, look, what if I have one of these incidents and I don't have my SRO and I have to call 911? And now I have to get the luck of the draw from a 911 call. He mm-hmm. says, What's going to happen then is you're much more likely to get the kind of um, John Wayne racist response then you are from a 911 call with a cop, when you get the lug of the draw from a cop responding to a 911 call who you haven't trained, who doesn't know your building, who doesn't know the kids, you're much more likely to get the kind of over-the-top biased response from them than I would from my SRO, who's been trained. It's like, if, if I don't like my SRO, if they don't wanna comply with the culture that we're trying to establish here, I can call JD and Chow and she'll make sure I get another one who will. Or I can, if you got a relationship with the commander, um, the commander can sub somebody out. And so it's like, so what so that that concern, you know, that if I pull my SRO and I have to rely on the luck of a 911 call with a cop who doesn't know my kids, when these kids show up in a car armed, um you're much more likely to, show, to to end up with dead teenagers than you are if you start out with my SRO. And I did not have, though I support the effort to get SROs out of the building in general, because I did not have a, a response for him. I did not have a reasonable, logical, rational response outside of just ideology. Mm-hmm. And he's not looking for ideology. He's looking for some support when a uh, when a group of armed kids show up at a school, which has happened more than once, um, and so as as president of the principals association, you know it's my job to put his story out there uh, to be considered, and stories like his. Um, at the same time, I was talking to other principals who wanted them out, and typically the principals who wanted them out don't have them. <laughs> um, you know they're listening to their students. Who are pushing them to support? Many of them are pushing, or or don't need them. There are schools where they're not needed, where you don't have these situations where kids are showing up armed to a school. Um, and the principals told the principals who wanted them out recognized that. You know, he was. I don't say their names, but two of them contacted me about supporting the ban on SROs, um, and they said, "Yes, I, we recognize that we're from affluent neighborhoods, and um, we might not necessarily represent." the folks, the the, the the schools where this is actually an issue, but this is how we feel. Um, and so, you know, but, but they were like, but we've had students come to us and push us, and so we feel like we have to represent the voice of our students. And so, I have that group on one end, and I have the principal of the school where uh, principals like the one at the school where kids show up aren't. Yeah. Uh, and so I put both of their voices out there and leave it at that.
1: Well, I'm with you. I, I've, I've been saying all along, I think it should be school by school uh, decision. My my gripe, which I probably told you last time, I can't remember the fact that we had the conversation last time, I have so many conversations I can't keep track of them all. Hey, but,
0: but let me add this, man. Yeah. I think we there's a bigger conversation where we have to have a city with the kind of resources and support where this isn't a fucking question. Yeah, right? like where the overall police like we have to deal with the sort of overall policing and joblessness and homelessness and the economic situation that creates an environment where kids show up to a school on. Right. Yeah. the, the, the like, like all too often, we have the conversation like we're stuck, like we'll never be able to get out of the situation we're in. And since we're in this situation, then, you know, we need these cops in the school. And I fundamentally disagree with that. On that, I can certainly say I want to create a world, a Chicago, where SROs are not needed in schools. And the underlying conditions that create the need for that principal to want to keep an SRO in the school have to be dealt with. Resources have to be put toward the conditions that create the situation he has to live and work in. Uh, so that eventually that SRO is not needed. And that I can say affirmatively, definitely, and confidently, no matter whether I'm speaking as Troy Ravier or as the president of the Principles Association.
1: All right, and then to that point, next time you're uh, having a conversation with uh, Janice Jackson or Mayor Lori Leifer, let them know that the police department should be paying the tab, not the Board of Education. So instead of the Board of Education having an intergovernmental agreement where they send the money over to the police department, have the police department pay for its own police officers so the Board of Education could take, now I think it's down to $12 million, $12 million and hire some more nurses or hire some more social workers or hire some more Spanish teachers or whatever they need to hire in a school. That, to me, that kind of gamesmanship, Troy, you've been seeing this going on in Chicago for a long time, where they shuffle budgets around. This department pays for that. This division pays for that. And it's like the school should be paying for school stuff, in my humble opinion, as a taxpayer the I have a theory is- about that.
0: I have a theory about it. I don't know if it's true or not, but I think... You know, one of the reasons that they often... Because one of the real things that the CPS are saying is that if we don't spend the money on SROs, then you don't get the money at all, right? That it's not that we're going to give you a counselor if we don't give you an SRO. The choice is have one or not. And it's like, well, you got the money. If yes, you that's it. It. <laughs> if, you, if you have the money and we don't want to... Why wouldn't you? And I think that that position is the position in part to some extent because... Of the whole police overtime issue like that's another bucket of money yes. that'll that can go toward police salaries to create some cushion either they can either that money can either go directly toward police overtime or it's some can create some cushion in the regular cpd that's budget right. for overtime yes. uh, for police officers like that is I, exactly I, right that's exact, has nothing to do with security of kids, got nothing
1: to do with the education of kids. It's all about filling out the budget in the police department. That's what it's about, Troy. It was that way under ROM. It was that way under Daly. And if, if, if it was Mayor LeRavie, some budget aide would say, look, Troy, I know you ran as a lefty and you're friends with Ben and all that stuff. But man, forget that. Now, you now mayor, you got to pay for that police budget. Here's the money. Take it from the schools. The Board of Education will do whatever you tell them. They're, they're sort of like MAGA hat wearers. They'll do whatever Trump will tell them. And you just take it, you know, and eh, nobody will know that. that. That's to me what's going on, Troy, in my humble opinion. Uh, yeah, you know,
0: I'm always careful when I'm, you know, I have no... Documented evidence and uh, to to, uh, to back that, and when I don't have evidence to back a statement, I'm very fair careful. Enough. Hey, this is this is uh, i prefaced it with I'm not certain about this, but this is my thinking around this. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> i'm I'm
1: Okay,
0: fair enough. Man, then.
1: <laughs> uh Yeah, fair enough. Uh, All right, let's close it down with the latest scandal. I uh, just broke this uh, this afternoon, as far as I've learned, Dennis told me about it, he alerted it to me. I uh, read uh, the article, I sent it to you in the Chicago Tribune. Uh, Pedro Soto, I believe his name is, he's a top aide to Janice Jackson. I do not know the man. I do not know her, for that matter. He's uh, gotten in trouble because he was apparently, allegedly, providing inside information to a private company. And it's so, that was seeking a contract from the Board of Education. You could get with the more specifics, Troy, but I'm gonna set it up. I go, ladies and gentlemen, Troy Laravier got in trouble for the first time with with the powers that be in Chicago in 2014, I wanna say, because he blew the whistle uh, on the lousy janitorial service we were getting ever since Mayor Rahm, in his infinite wisdom, decided to replace Board of Education employees' genders, or he accelerated the replacement, I should say, uh, with these private companies that get a contract and they hire people less money goes to the janitors less money goes to residents of the city of chicago more money goes to the owners of the janitorial companies and the schools are not as clean i don't know who wins in this other than Rom's cronies uh but privatization continues uh troy your thoughts on all this
0: So I have two strands of thinking about this. Uh, One is probably very far from what you might expect from me. Uh, Well, not far from what you'd, uh, not far from what you know of me, but far from what you'd expect, I'd say. Um, The first is, you know, what you'd expect that, you know, I started and gained my original and people, I came into the public consciousness because I was a principal I was um, the most awarded principal in the city of Chicago. I was principal of the number what became the number one ranked neighborhood school in the city. Um, the CEO herself said that I was one of the city's most distinguished principals. And from that position, I'm watching my budget get axed uh, by more than uh, well over half a million dollars by CPS. And at the same time, I am watching CPS spend $10 million on new furniture for their offices. I'm watching them spend $20 million on principal training from a company that ended up being a bribery scheme. And then I'm watching them spend what amounted to more than a billion on the privatization of custodial services. And the principal training and the custodial service, every one of these things, was a significant downturn in the quality of what we had come to expect as principals. Like, they were paying millions of dollars um, for crap. And at the same time, actually billions, and at the same time cutting our budgets, and we're watching, we have to watch and see. Like, one principal called me after one budget cut and was like, I feel like I am not no longer an educational leader, but I'm managing educational hospice, Mm -hmm. educational hospice, um, that, you know, hospice is where you send folk where there's no hope, (laughs) where there's only waiting to die. Right. Mm -hmm. That He said that every time they cut my budget, it's like, how am I going to fail students now? What am I going to take for what am I going to be forced to take from them this time? And so I'm looking at all of that and I'm like, look, I I didn't get in education to keep a job. I got in education to serve a purpose, and that was to make sure these kids realize their human potential. And I can't do it under these circumstances of massive corruption. And so I spoke out and exposed it. Um, And eventually, that is one of the major reasons that. They came after me, Um, but the corruption existed long before the incidents that I saw, and it has continued long after my departure from this district, and this is just the latest example. So that's my first response. My second response is, as president of the Percival's Association, you know, I'm looking at Janice Jackson because she hired this dude, and she not only hired him, but she promoted him uh, and then kept him while he was under federal investigation. And then she responded today by saying that Soto uh, betrayed her trust. It was a betrayal of trust, right? And so I'm looking at this as somebody who represents principals, right? And I see her response is deeply problematic because I know that when a school-based employee acts in bad faith and betrays the trust of a principal's, of principals? Jackson's administration punishes the principals for trusting the employees in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. That I've got multiple reports, multiple reports been from our general counsel where CPS accuses principals of not exercising due diligence mm-hmm. um, for. Uh, in cases where the principal doesn't even violate a written rule, they're like, well, you should have known, or you should have exercised some vague common sense. Right? So, my stance is if that's Jackson's administration's position on principles, then she should have known better <laughs> yeah. than to bring this alleged criminal into her administration. She should have known enough or had enough common sense not to promote him to a position where he earned $175,000 that apparently wasn't enough for him. Um, And then she should have known better than to keep him in that position while he was under federal investigation, right? So, again, you got this unfairness. You know, we were talking earlier about this idea of unfairness with racial justice, where we see that black as black people, Part of, part of the major frustration is we know what happens to us doesn't happen to white people in the same circumstances and in a very similar way principles this is an issue of fairness we see we see jackson excusing her behavior by calling it a betrayal of trust and we know damn well if a principle trust had been betrayed by someone underneath him she'd be sending a law department after yeah that she does not hold herself accountable. She's extremely hypocritical in that regard. Um, And, but that's life as a CPS principal, to see her excusing herself, excusing members of her inner circle for things that they would end the career of a principal for if it had been the exact same situation with the principal and have ended the careers of principals for, for far less. Um... And so it's hypocritical and it's disgusting to watch the lack of accountability and the hypocrisy exercised by this administration in relationship to this, not just this Soto thing, but one corrupt thing after another happening uh, with
1: the administration of this district. Well, we'll see where this one takes us. I have a feeling we're not done with it. And uh, in general, what you just uh, described, Troy, would fall uh, under the category of a saying that I learned from Dennis. Rules for thee, not for me. You feel free to quote that anytime you want uh, when describing the inconsistencies of a But I know what you're saying. If she didn't know about it, she should have known about it. That's like a standard line that people use all the time. All right, Troy, we've uh, run out of time. Thank you very much uh, for uh, all you have to offer. Got to bring you back. It's been too long, two months. I don't know what happened. Uh, So maybe we'll uh, have to tighten it up a little bit, get you back in September. Uh, And uh, we even talk about remotely uh, not having school, uh, regular school or going to a virtual school or remote school. We'll talk about that next time you're on the show. All right. Yes, sir. All right, Troy LaRavie is his name. Thank you very much, sir. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone.